Hey everyone, this is Michael Zerner. I'm one of the three managing partners at We Family Offices, and I'm joined today by Matt Farrell. Matt runs our private investing practice, which includes both private investing as well as hedge funds. And we're going to have a short conversation about a paper that Matt just wrote about the outlook for alternative assets in 2023. Welcome, Matt. Hello, Michael. So Matt, before we get into too much of the detail, maybe you can just talk to us at a very high level about when we talk about the outlook for alternative assets, what what do we really mean by alternative assets? Sure. Alternative investments can be summarized by basically saying they're not traditional long-only positions in stocks, bonds, or cash. You know, they're typically diversifying a little bit more opaque with a little less transparency. But what that generally means is you're able to take advantage of less efficient, more fragmented markets, which could potentially lead to more attractive returns. But most importantly, they're generally uncorrelated to the broader market. Great. So what you're basically saying is, yes, traditionally, these assets have ideally yielded a premium to the public markets to pay you for the illiquidity you're taking. But you also think there's an important component to this asset class that is that they are really non-correlated to a lot of traditional asset classes like bonds and equity. I think that's particularly important coming off of 2022, a year in which equities and bonds were highly correlated, both uh, to the negative, to the downside, which is quite unusual. So, So talk a little bit, if you would, about that correlation and how the inclusion of these alternative assets might might help actually reduce the risk profile of a portfolio. Sure. As you said, over 2022, stocks and bonds become more correlated. And we've seen that in recent years. In addition, you know, looking at US treasuries, that was considered a, a ballast or safety net of the portfolio. And we saw significant drawdowns over the course of 2022. And I think is really a, a pivotal moment for the investment community going forward and reassessing our portfolios truly diversified and sufficiently uncorrelated from from markets and and potential shock factors. So um, alternative investments can add that uncorrelated diversifying approach that can actually use some of the the market dynamics as a catalyst and potential opportunity. You know, I think an example could be a counter cyclical strategy such as distressed credit. And just as a quick example, you know, that could actually outperform during a market drawdown. And so if you could add individual positions in your portfolio, such as the distress credit, and there are many other examples that we can touch upon, each of these are you know, ideally individually attractive return streams. And then when you put them together in a portfolio, they're offsetting some of that risk. And, and when you look at the portfolio level, add a sense of stable returns. Got it. So when you think about these opportunities, they both fall into the private investment space as well as hedge funds. What's the difference between those two spaces, Matt, even though they both fall under the headline of alternative, what's really the difference between the private investment markets and the hedge fund markets? And then maybe we'll drill down a little bit into each. Sure. It's admittedly kind of a gray area uh, with definitions, but generally speaking, when you think of private markets, they're often in drawdown vehicles. So what that means is there's typically a stated capital raising period where you make commitments to the fund and then they close the fund and then draw your capital down, depending on the strategy, anywhere from a year to upwards of five or six years. They invest the capital, and then you have a harvest period in which they distribute your capital back to the investor. And so the total fund life can run anywhere from five to 10 years. 
it's generally speaking highly illiquid. And so when you want to invest into a drawdown vehicle, you expect an illiquidity premium. You know, rule of thumb that's ranges anywhere from three to four percent that you expect over public markets. And if you look at history, you know, going back 30 years in, in private markets, they actually have achieved an illiquidity premium. So that's one of the big reasons we we like the private space is the ability to achieve outsized returns potentially. But in addition, you know, they are generally exhibit low correlation to traditional markets. So what I hear you saying is that if an investor has sufficient capital that they can really lock it up for many years, they can they don't need it for spending, they don't need it to pay down debt, they don't need it to meet a specific objective. And they really have a you know very long term, i.e. 10 plus year time frame for that capital. Uh, investing in the private markets uh, gives them the, the opportunity or the potential to earn a premium for that illiquidity and get paid for that illiquidity over the public markets. But it definitely comes with locking locking the money up for, for quite a long period of time. Sure. And, and it really, there's a range of liquidity within private markets. And I think that's really where you know a bespoke private program can really add value at the client level, where advisors can get to know the client and understand what they're illiquidity tolerance would be, any liabilities that they have to fund, cash flow needs, et cetera. And then that can help construct a customized portfolio for the client. So for an example, you know, credit strategies typically are only five-year funds and they have a yield component. So in other words, they distribute cash on a anywhere from a monthly to quarterly basis. And an example, so that cash back in a sense, de-risk your investment because it's it's reducing your capital at risk and also adds cash component that can, you know, use to fund lifestyle or, or capital calls or whatever the case may be. You go the other end of the spectrum with some very long duration asset classes, which would be, you know, venture capital, particularly early stage or, or seed. Those can be anywhere from 10 to 15 years before you get your capital back. And so it's very important to understand what your cash flow needs would be and then construct a portfolio that can you know, offset some of that duration and be very bespoke to the client needs. Right. So this is this is something that has to be done on a very individual, customized basis. But let's let's go back to hedge funds for a minute. So you described private investing, right, as you know, a longer time lockup of capital uh, approach to earning and a premium for locking that capital up. How would you define hedge funds? Uh, you know, broadly speaking. Sure. So th- there's not really a specific definition of a hedge fund, but uh, generally speaking, your capital is it's locked up with liquidity anywhere from weekly to monthly or quarterly. Some are annual liquidity, and they are generally unconstrained. So by that I mean they're able to invest based on the portfolio manager's view of the opportunity set. They're able to be tactical and take advantage of quick shifts in the market that the kind of average investor would be unable to do. So hedge funds in general exhibit low correlation to traditional asset classes. Uh, The underlying instruments that they could trade could be anything from equities to bonds, derivatives, and exotic instruments that, again, are just opaque, sometimes less liquid. And because there's uh, a fragmentation of the market, you can often get manager alpha. Um, You know, contrast that with the public markets. The most efficient market is probably large cap equities. It's highly efficient, it's very visible. There's a lot of analyst eyes on the underlying companies in, in the public markets. Contrast that with, with hedge funds. It's often just in uh, underfollowed areas and with few analyst eyes or just in, in uh, instruments that are not traded on exchanges, for example. 
And so whenever you're investing, you're, you expect some alpha, some outperformance, you expect lower volatility within hedge funds, and you expect low correlation with traditional asset classes. And so what we saw during 2022, when you know we saw equities and bonds and, and even treasuries to an extent become correlated and draw down, the hedge funds actually offered some protection and offered some stabilized return streams. So Matt, what I hear you saying, just to play it back, is that and these are very sort of broad generalizations, but hedge funds are really giving investors an opportunity to take advantage of volatility, to take advantage of market inefficiency, to you know be doing things outside of the, the traditional public markets that give an opportunity to, as you said earlier, to provide diversification, non-correlation, uh, and earn returns in different ways than the public equity markets. And private markets are really an opportunity for investors to take advantage of of what we've called that illiquidity premium, which is uh, for, for really committing their capital for a long period of time to earn a premium over the public markets. Uh, I see that as sort of two very big distinctions. You agree with that? I do. And just to add to the hedge fund side, it's, it's the ability to go on offense when the rest of your portfolio is potentially suffering during a drawdown. And that's due to the ability of hedge funds to be able to use uh, short positions. So in other words, when the market goes down, uh, a, a particular short position could be a positive return. And mm -hmm. so that's offsetting the drawdown of the rest of your portfolio. Mm -hmm. And they're able to be tactical and, uh, you know, really shift their their strategy based on the opportunity set. So it's really just entrusting a talented general partner mm -hmm. with your capital to take advantage of the opportunity set, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And so what it does overall is offer a stable return stream to your portfolio. Okay. So if I think about where we sit today and the end of February of 2023, right? We're, we're in an environment where we still see lots of volatility in the equity and bond markets with rates moving up and down significantly on a daily basis with the market moving up and down. We see uncertainty around inflation. We see uncertainty around, uh, you know, uh, recession and, uh, you know, the, the health of the U.S. economy and corporate earnings. And, you know, the market is, is responding every day to different inputs and what's the Fed going to do uh, you know, going forward with interest rates. And, and all of that leads to a fair amount of volatility uh, that we've experienced over the last year and we expect to continue. So let's let's move the conversation very specifically into in this kind of volatile environment. Um, let's start with the hedge fund side and then let's move to private investing. But talk to us a little bit about where you see very specific opportunities with tailwinds in the hedge fund space, you know, heading into the rest of 23. Sure. Generally speaking, if I had to come up with one word in which uh, the environment needs for hedge funds to outperform, it, it'd be volatility. And whenever you look at analysts and economists and whatnot, you, you can get differing views on you know trying to make a projection with inflation and, and interest rates. But the consensus is that we expect volatility. And so that environment is really conducive to hedge funds potentially outperforming. But you always want to be focused and, and, you know, specific strategies are going to have more tailwinds than others. So I think global macro still has the uh, characteristics to, to outperform this year and potentially next year as well. Macro is is fairly unconstrained in terms of the underlying instruments in which it can trade. So across equity, credit, currency, interest rates, commodities, it can trade in many different markets. And you know, when I mentioned volatility, that really stands out with macro. And whenever you're seeing increases in interest rates, you're seeing supply demand dynamics and commodities 
you know, whether that's related to climate or geopolitical or, or supply chains, there's just volatility, you know, currencies, we're seeing volatility, we anticipate more credit spread volatility and equities, we've obviously seen volatility. So all of those we expect to continue through this year. And so it's really a ripe environment for global macro. And the purpose that macro serves in a portfolio, it's really a diversifier. You know, whenever you're you're running correlations with the broad asset classes with, within hedge funds, macro stands out as the least correlated with traditional markets. So it can really add a diversification benefit. And it's also fairly liquid. So meaning uh, investors could withdraw their capital anywhere from weekly to monthly. Uh, so it's one of the more liquid strategies within the hedge fund universe. Okay. And now let's let's move over to the private investment universe. Can you talk about a particular strategy or space within the private investment arena that you think has uh, particular tailwinds as we as we navigate through these difficult markets? Sure. And maybe to take a step back real quick, it just generally speaking, we encourage when building a, a private market program to consistently invest you know, every couple of years to get a good vintage diversification, investing across asset classes. But also during these times of, of heightened volatility, you want to be even more focused than ever. We always encourage careful manager selection and to have a focused program. But, you know, in this environment, there are several strategies that, that stand out. And I think a good way to mitigate the broader market volatility would be yield-oriented strategies. And that can be across credit, that can be across real assets. But when I think about yield, you know, I mentioned this earlier, is that it really de-risks your investment over time because it's capital back in your pocket. So whether the yield is 8, 10, 12 plus percent, whatever it may be, that's less capital at risk whenever you're receiving it uh, you know, back. And, and generally, they, they could have off-take agreements or fixed coupon rates within these private vehicles. And so it's a, it's a very somewhat reliable income stream. And what that can do is, is serve as a ballast of your portfolio and offset some of the volatility you're seeing in the public markets. So I, I really like yield-oriented strategies in this market until you know we, we see some direction with the economy and, and a little bit more certainty. Yeah, and so yield-oriented. And I think within yield, you think, as I mentioned, credit and, and real assets. And I think mm -hmm. real assets continue to, to have some tailwinds. So what is a real asset? It's you know across real estate, infrastructure, commodities or other real assets. So just want to say real assets, it's a hard physical asset. So whether it's real estate or infrastructure or you know some other real asset. And the reason I, I like it is because it also adds an inflation hedge uh, because many of the, whether it's rent, you know, as an example within multifamily or an offtake agreement uh, infrastructure, they're often either directly inflation linked or can just be you know, go up with general inflation, the the uh, return streams. So it's a good hedge against inflation, and it, it adds that yield component as well. Okay, so so those one in the hedge fund space and one in the private space are where uh, you know you see some tailwinds and opportunity. Just give us in the limited, you know, we have very limited time left, but give us one example. It can be either in the hedge fund or in the private space of where you see a headwind, where you would be cautious about committing capital in this kind of uh, volatile uh, and uncertain environment? Sure. I, I think real estate's a good example. You know, it, although real estate is a real asset and can often add a, a inflation hedge and also give you a yield component, I'm a little cautious because we saw such rapid increase in real estate pricing over the past several years. Um, and whenever you see an interest rate rise, that can really impact real estate values. 
uh, through cap rates and capitalization rates. And so just being selective within real estate, I think is important. Um, I think there are sub property types that um, either or are shorter duration, meaning they're able to reset rent or cash flows more frequently. Um, and they're just generally less correlated with the broader market. You know, we've, we've talked about self-storage before, you know, outdoor storage is something we're looking at, but it's, you know, continue to focus on more fragmented markets where there's still some manager alpha to be made and kind of avoiding some of these um, herd mentality trades that we're seeing with within even within real estate. Okay, so so I think the the message you're saying is that real estate broadly can still have some interesting opportunities, but one has to be quite selective and be sure uh, one's putting capital in opportunities that. Uh, you know, are very specialized uh, and more shorter duration uh, in, in order to de-risk uh, or have less risk in those portfolios. So, okay, thank you, Matt. You've written, as I said earlier, you've written a paper uh, on this topic, uh, which has much more detail and much more information in it that can be accessed through our website, www.wefamilyoffices.com. Uh, or if you follow us on LinkedIn at We Family Offices, you can access the paper as well. Thanks very much and look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Michael.